Hi there. Well, it's been a couple weeks since the final chapter of Alice Isn't Dead, but our journey's not over. The novel is coming in less than two months, and to celebrate, we will be putting up excerpts from the audiobook read by the always amazing Jessica Nicole. There will be an excerpt every two weeks leading all the way up to October 30th, Publication Day, where we will have a special surprise for everyone on this feed. So, Stay subscribed, and if you like what you hear, please consider pre-ordering the novel. This first excerpt is about half of a chapter from fairly late in the book. If you haven't heard the podcast, some minor spoilers, but I wanted to give a sense of the places I was able to go in the novel that I just didn't have room to do in the podcast. If she had a name, her name was Thistle. But she had no name. There was no separating her from Thistle. She and it were born in the same instant. Even she could not explain her history. Her first memory was of clawing out of mud after a long rain, but perhaps that was not her first birth. There may have been earlier births in simpler forms that she does not remember. Back then, she didn't need to look human, and so she didn't. She took all sorts of forms, a bird of prey with long white feathers, a burrowing creature with long white teeth, a plant with thorns that broke off and putrefied in the flesh. Her name and form did not interest her. What interested her was the effect she could have on the world. Once humans came, she mimicked them seeing in them a unique opportunity to cause new pain. It is difficult to track her history once she blended in with people. Which were acts of isolated human cruelty, and which were influenced by her whispering? In 1873, a traveling doctor and salesman of cure-all medicine arrived in the town of Okmulgee, Oklahoma. The sign on the wagon said, Thistle Modern Miracles of Health. He spoke and sold in town for a few days and moved on. His assistant, a small woman who introduced herself variously as Miss Wheel and Miss Knight, took the coins and offered in exchange vials of a dark blue and bitter medicine. Three weeks later, everyone who had tried the medicine died of a lingering and painful condition that manifested first as a red bulging in the skin and then incurably infected the brain. The town doctor died himself before he could give an educated opinion of the plague, having disbelieved in the medicine but having sampled it for his own edification. And by the time another doctor was allowed to see the bodies, they had disintegrated into a marshy sponge that smelled peppery and sour. 1901. Chicago. Thirteen missing children over one summer. Disappearances traced to a new shop. Thistle goods and butchering. Staff and owners disappeared before questioning, but were described by neighbors as a crew of oddly shaped men acting under the orders of a small, frail woman who called herself Madame Tile. The evidence found in the shop required the complete demolition of the structure, as the horrors there made it beyond rehabilitation. 1955. Missoula. 
the only synagogue in town, burned down by a group of men with faces that no one would admit they recognized as their friends and neighbors. A federal investigation of the crime was cursory, and most of the witnesses were deemed unreliable due to their repeated insistence that a woman was seen walking through the flames in the building, passing through the heat, and singing. The case was closed with little investigation. Most of the Jewish community moved away. People didn't talk about the burning much, and soon, even the witnesses wouldn't say that they had been there. Many saw the woman from the fire again and again, drinking in local bars, talking in low tones with groups of local men. A hundred years ago, and fifty years ago, and ten years ago. Perhaps we can help each other, said the woman with many names to the government official who frowned. He didn't ask how she could help him. He knew. There were always troublemakers, people who didn't go with the program, communists, civil rights agitators, even plain old liberals. A government can only do so much directly against these degenerates without risking the title of democracy. But a band of serial killers with this woman at the heart of them? They could cause all sorts of useful chaos. Perhaps we can help each other said the woman with many names, and the government official felt his skin crawl, but he nodded. Yes, I think we can. She smiled. She had this conversation with many government officials over many years, and they always said yes. No one could resist the terrible freedom she offered. Her side of the bargain would be providing an excuse to take care of enemies and troublemakers. Their side of the bargain was to merely stand aside and offer no obstacle as she sowed the kind of freedom she hungered for. 1983. Olive, Montana. Elizabeth Harris, one of the last children to grow up in a town that would soon fade from existence except as a name on a map. She was playing in a field near her house when she came across a deep hole she had never seen before. Peering into the hole, she saw at the bottom a small, frail woman. The woman's face was covered in blood, and her eyes were looking back up at Elizabeth. The woman began to sing in a sweet, high voice. Oh, martyrs, she sang. Oh, soldiers of a lower cause. Elizabeth turned and ran. She would not put together until later that evening, but subsequently would be unable to forget that as the woman sang, she had been slowly floating up out of the hole toward the surface. Elizabeth moved away from Olive as soon as she was old enough, and dreamed of that woman's song and the whites of her eyes floating slowly upward at least once a month for the rest of her life. Once again, if you enjoyed that, please go to aliceisntdead.com, where you can get information about the novel and about the upcoming 17-city book tour. Pre-ordering means the world to authors, so please consider it. Thanks.